Uh, good morning. My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here. Thank you. Uh, man, one thing I didn't know in my 20s that I have learned in my 30s is that, yo, you could, like, really win in the travel game when you have loyalty points. Hey, tell Jesus I said, what's up? You could, like, really, really win in traveling when you have loyalty to one airline, for example. Like, you get so many perks. Uh, now, I, I fly, basically, if they go there, I'll fly almost exclusively Delta. And they give me so many perks, um, and it's pretty great. One of the perks is you get to board early, right, for being a loyal customer. Uh, years ago, I was um, in the back of the line with the regular people, and... <laughs> Yo, I was like boarding in like zone 63. I was like, I didn't even know that that was possible. And um, by the time I got to the front with my luggage, they said, sorry, sir, there's no more space in the cabin. You have to check your bag to your final destination. And um, I got there, checked my bag, did what they told me to do, and they lost my luggage. For like multiple days, I didn't have my, my stuff. And... Uh, I finally got it days later, like right before I was about to go home. And since that point, I've told myself I will never board late again because I don't want to have to deal with that hassle. If you and I are talking and it's my time to board, I'm going to end the conversation right that second. <laughs> Last month, we were headed to Miami for a retreat with some other pastors. And there was one pastor whose church started the day before. I said, hey, man, how are things going? He was like, man, that was so amazing. They were like, now boarding zone one. I was like, hey, cool. Hold that thought for one second. <laughs> I'll see you in Miami. Uh, tell me all about it. We'll have a lot of time to talk about it then. Uh, so it's not just boarding early. Sometimes you get, like, free flights. If you rack up enough points, you get free flights. And my wife and I have been able to travel to a lot of places for free. Free 99 is the price tag I'm loving. I, I love to pay. And perhaps the best part about it is you get upgrades from time to time. And with upgrades come upgraded snacks. <laughs> and I'm all about snacks, not just the Cheez-Its and the biscotti cookies. No, no, no. Uh, we have a whole new selection of snacks that they pass around. I take, like, all of them. And uh, uh, so I, I love to fly Delta. And this is not an infomercial for them. Um, I'm not getting a kickback from them. But my relationship with Delta is not... It's not loyalty because I just want to be loyal to them. It's transactional. They give me something, I give them something. My love for Delta, as much as I fly them exclusively, is not really devotion. It's just because they give me better things than other airlines do. If another airline gave me a better deal, unless it was spirit because I don't want to die, <laughs> if it wasn't them, then I would fly any other airline in a heartbeat. Now, my, relation, <clears throat> my relationship with them is that of a consumer. They give me something, I give them something in return. Now, if I got a better deal, like the prophet Swiss Beats once said, I'd be on to the next, on, on to the next. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that in terms of airlines. Obviously, you should probably spend your very hard-earned money in the place that will get you the most in return. Uh, money doesn't grow on trees, and why would you spend it flippantly? The danger is that mindset of a consumer somehow makes itself into the way that we treat relationships and even our relationship with God. Uh, some of that consumerism trickles into our faith. Uh, and by consumerism, uh, it means that we stay connected to people 
only as long as they are meeting our particular needs at an acceptable cost to us. Consumerism is when we stay connected to people only as long as they are meeting our particular needs at an acceptable cost to us. Years ago, there was that big controversy with Netflix when they, you know, at first for the old people, you would get the DVDs uh, and Netflix in the mail. And then they doubled the price because they were splitting the services of DVDs and instant streaming. And um, DVDs for you young people are devices, they're discs. That <laughs> <laughs> you had a machine that you would plug it into. Um, so uh, when Netflix did that, everybody was like so mad and they started canceling their services like crazy because the cost was no longer acceptable to them. They stayed around only as long as the cost was acceptable to them. Now, I've seen people do this in their marriages. I've seen people leave marriages because it just was no longer um, meeting their particular needs. Now, it should go without saying, but it doesn't, particularly sometimes even in churches, but there are reasons to leave a marriage. And I would never, ever, ever, ever want anyone staying in a situation where you were being abused. So please don't hear this as me saying, stay and be abused. I have seen so many people leave marriages, not because of abuse, but because it was no longer meeting their need. I was talking to some friends, people who I loved and, and knew very dearly, and they were getting divorced. And I was talking to both spouses, and they were saying, the husband was saying, yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's just like, it's just not working, man. Like, it's just not, it's not working. I talked to the wife, she said, you know what? Like, he's just, I'm just not happy in a marriage anymore. God wants me to be happy. <laughs> To a certain extent, I, I do think that God wants our, he wants our joy. He wants more than our happiness. Happiness comes and goes. God wants our joy. And that joy comes in enduring some situations. And the way we have approached so many of the relationships in our lives, including some of the most serious ones, is that of a consumer. And uh, we see this in the scripture that we're going to get into today. Uh, but certainly in my own life, I, I've seen myself approach God as a, as a consumer. Uh, there's been seasons in my life and periods and times where everything else around me seemed to be working, but I just had like zero desire to pray, zero desire to read scripture, zero desire to go to church. And one thing I realized was that uh, even though I would kind of be around Christian people and be around Christian circles, I realized that I stopped praying because God didn't feel useful to me anymore. There was some stuff I really wanted God to do, and God didn't do it. And when he stopped doing it, said, man, like, what's this prayer thing all about? I know what it feels like to have a consumeristic version of faith, and it's not what Jesus has come to give us. Sometimes it's like these really big things we want from God that God doesn't deliver on, and that makes us want to stay away. Other times, it's something way more subtle than a huge disappointment. It's just boredom. It's just that we kind of feel... We have these needs of being excited and energized. And when that need is not being met by whatever it is we're doing, we leave it alone. Uh, Tish Warren, in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, she says it like this. We tend to focus on excitement, passion, and risk, the kind of worship that gives a rush. Eugene Peterson calls this quest for spiritual intensity a consumer-driven market for religious experience in our world. He says that there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue 
little inclination to sign up for, the long, for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians have called discipleship. Religion in our time has been captured by a tourist mindset. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and, some, and so somehow to expand our otherwise humdrum life. And here's a part that, that really hit home for me. And an individual's own experience of worship, a subjective notion of his or her encounter with God, has become the centerpiece of the Christian life. Now, if you approach God like this, where um, your, your notion, your ability to feel an encounter with God becomes a centerpiece for your life, it's going to be really, really, really hard to maintain a spiritual life for decades. It's going to be really hard to, to do the things that God calls us to do, like reading scripture, being in community, praying, because there's so many times in doing all of those things where it's the opposite of exciting. I once heard someone ask this question, how many meals in your life can you, mem can you remember? If you've you know, eaten some really great meals, maybe 10 or 20 that you can remember, that was just an amazing meal. And you've eaten thousands and thousands of other meals that you don't remember that were boring, but guess what? They grew you, and they sustained your life. A lot of times when we're seeking after these experiences and these emotional encounters, we're missing out on how God wants to form us. Not in the exciting, and listen, I'm all for an amazing worship set. I'm all for a great sermon. Uh, I'm all for all of these different things. But God forms us mostly in obscurity, in times of boredom, in times where things don't seem to be all clicking together. This is when God is doing sometimes his best work. Uh, we're starting community groups in a couple of weeks, and um, yes, we got some new signups for that. The email is going out tomorrow. One of the things that we always challenge people for community groups is to say, whether you are starting for the first time or you are rejoining um, or, or you're joining an existing group or you're, you're going with the flow, is if you're expecting to walk into a community group and to, to meet 12 of your best friends and to have the most amazing conversation where by the end of night one, everybody is hugging and crying, snot bubbles coming out your nose, and Jesus has just descended in the middle of 145th Street. If we're, a lot of times people, they don't get that, surprisingly. And we've gotten some emails over the years like, hey, I, I think something is wrong with my group. I'm like, what happened? You know, are there Nets fans in the room? Like, what's, what's so wrong? <laughs> What's so wrong about your group? And they said, no, nah, I just like, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I didn't really click with anybody. You know, the conversation was just okay. I'm like, oh, the conversation was just okay. What did you talk about? You know, the cross. I'm like, that doesn't excite you. Like the cross. <laughs> I mean, I got that. I got the cross. You really do. Like you have grasped the totality of what it means that God has descended from eternity entered into human humanity and got on the cross to die and take away all of your sins so you never need to feel another piece of guilt in your life. You have gotten that? Of course not. We look for the emotional stuff sometimes and we miss out on how God wants to form us in the mundane. And I don't want that to be uh, the way that we approach God as consumers trying to get a particular need met, uh, met. I think all of us owe it to ourselves to evaluate God what are the needs that I think that I have? Spend some time this week writing it down. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of us had excitement or to feel something. And again, there's nothing wrong with feeling something. I do believe that God meets us in our feelings as well, but that can't be the only place that we meet God. Now, fortunately for us, we're turning to a passage of Scripture about um, 
people who were consumers. Now, this is not limited to our American version of Christianity. This has been an age-old problem that's happened for centuries and generations and generations. Now, we've been in the Gospel of John for the last couple of months, and we're starting at a part of John 6 today where people walked away from Jesus when he was no longer meeting their needs and when the cost was too high to them. It starts out in verse uh, 26 where Jesus is talking to this group of people. He says, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So right before this, Jesus uh, has done a miracle where he has fed 5,000 people. These 5,000 people now form a crowd and they're coming after Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you're not like really coming after me. You're coming after what you think I can give you. You're not looking to me to be a source. You're looking to me to be a resource. So Jesus tells them and he confronts them very early. Um, and he says, you're not looking for me because you really want me, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So Jesus challenges them and says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, this is going back to uh, an ancient thing that happened in ancient Israel, where God, every single morning, would provide bread for people to eat. God called people out of slavery in Egypt and was leading them to their promised land, and God, day by day, was providing for them. And here's what they challenged Jesus with. Jesus, what are you going to do to show me that you really love me? What are you going to do to show me and to prove to me that my, my allegiance to you is worthwhile? What are you going to perform? Now, most of us don't necessarily want, don't wake up in the morning saying, Jesus, you know, unless you do a sign, uh, unless, you know, there's no line in Popeye's, then, you know, <laughs> that I'm not going to believe in you. But we do have a list. We do have a list of things that, we judge God's love for us by this standard. For me, a lot of it is the way that uh, I view myself and how well I'm doing as a pastor, and it really hurts. You know, it, it it's, gets some deep down stuff where I start to think that God has like, you know, God doesn't really love me anymore if like I'm not doing a good job because I got this whole thing about my image and how well I'm doing. Uh, <clears throat> We all have a list, a standard by which we judge God's love, that unless God does these things, he really can't love me. He really can't be for me. So they're asking Jesus to perform, and then Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus replies, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. We can spend an entire day talking about Jesus being the bread of life, and we will in a couple of weeks as we get to these statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Seven times Jesus makes a statement that says, I am, in this case, he says, I am the bread of life. Um, but suffice it for today, what Jesus is getting at is that he is 
the source, not the resource. I was thinking about this this week. Why does it matter so much that Jesus wants us to come to him as the true source of life, the bread of life, not just a resource to give them something for the day? And I was thinking about it. You really can't have a real relationship with someone if you're just trying to get something from them. Don't raise your hand on this because the person might be next to you. Like, how many of you, like, have that friend? They only really hit you up when they need something. <laughs> like, you don't hear from, when your life is rough, when times are bad, when times are whatever, you never hear from them. Whenever they hit you up, it's because they need something. Yo, been trying to catch up. How's things? Great. Yo, real quick. Um, how genuine does that relationship feel? Can you have a real, genuine, thriving, growing relationship with a person who only hits you up when they need something? Jesus is the source, not the resource. What he wants for us is a full, breathing, life-giving relationship in him where we come to him as the source, not just a resource to give us other things. One of the things that has always perplexed me about Jesus is this concept of how does he give us good things? If he's the best thing, then sometimes Jesus needs to remove other things so that we can see him. Because God loves us, sometimes he removes other things so that we can actually truly receive him, which is the best thing. I love my kids like crazy. More than an Iron Man toy, more than anything else, I want to give them me as a father. I want to give them the gift of my presence to do something in their life that they couldn't have uh, any other way. Um, I've been doing some traveling, and when I get back in town, I was expecting this, like, great, um, you know, reception when I came through the doors. I got in the doors. I got down on one knee. I said, buddy, come on, man, bring it in. He ran up to me. He said, where's mommy? I said, she's behind me. <laughs> and that was it. He did, however, come around when he knew that I had candy, that I had M&Ms to offer him. <laughs> and what essentially my son wants from me right now at this stage of his life are M&Ms. <laughs> and he hasn't even let me disciple him to the point to, to say, bro, at least eat the peanut M&Ms. We're still eating chocolate. Like, what are, we, what are we doing? What I have to offer him is so much more than M&Ms. My wife and I have talked a lot about potentially, you know, if we would ever try to have a third child, and if the Lord would allow it, you know, it would be a great thing. But the thing that's preventing us from going for another, another kid is that I just think we'd have another boy, and our house is in disarray enough as it is, and I don't want to sign up for that lifestyle just yet. But one of the things that I've thought about as a father of two boys is that I truly believe that one of my jobs in life, probably... My most important job, much more important and significant than pastoring Renaissance or doing anything, is that I want to turn them into be real men. Yeah. Not the fake, toxic masculinity man, but the, a real man who loves Jesus, respects women, has a high emotional intelligence, not afraid to cry. You're going to stop, you're going to stop clapping for this fourth one. And perhaps... Most importantly, they root for the Knicks. It's going to be, it's a, it's a package, it's a package deal. I mean, 
There's some pros and some cons in there. Um, on my dad's 70th birthday this year, uh, I got emotional thinking about <clears throat> all that it meant to me and my brother to have. <laughs> All that it meant and means to my brother to have, and my brother and I to have had a father who has shaped us over the years, to have poured into our lives, to have shown us what it means to love your wife. Those <clears throat> lessons are invaluable. Over the years, over the 38 years of my life, I've been shaped to, to be a man by my father, a lot of us come to God for M&Ms when what he wants to do is shape you. He wants to transform your life. He wants to mold you. He wants to make you into something you could have never thought or, to, or have been on your own. God wants to parent you in an intimate, real, personal way. Consumerism is taking the M&Ms and walking away. Don't settle for that version of faith. God has so much more for you than that. Yes. So the passage of Scripture continues, and this is where, if I'm being honest, it gets a little confusing. Jesus continues talking about, he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourself. Now what is Jesus talking about here? Uh, he's not talking about cannibalism. He is talking about his life permeating our entire being and transforming us from the inside out. He is talking about us ingesting him, taking him in, in such a way that it completely transforms us from the inside out. Paul picks up on this notion in Romans uh, 8 and 11 where he talks about that if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you, then that same spirit that lives inside of you, that raised Jesus from the dead, will give life to your mortal body. What is he saying? He's saying that there is a power available to everyone who places their faith in Christ that resides on the inside of us that will transform us from the inside out. And we have to fully take it in to take the boundaries off of what uh, we will allow God to do in our lives so that it won't just be an appearance of a relationship with Jesus, but it will be the real thing. Years ago, my wife and I bought an apartment and uh, we did some renovations because the joint was like in a really bad situation. And what I really wanted was to have like some like exposed brick or like this brick look. I just thought that it looked really cool. And we weren't sure what was behind the plaster walls. So I started doing research on this company called Brickit. Basically what Brickit does is they give, they'll give you the appearance of brick, but it's really like pretty thin. Like it can't really hold any weight, but it looks nice. Uh, we ended up knocking the walls down and we do have some old real brick on, in our walls. And these are the actual bricks that like hold the building up. What Jesus wants for your life and what he wants for my life is not the bricket version of faith that looks really good on the outside but can't hold any real weight. 
It's not the brick it version of faith that everybody would come into your apartment and say, like, yo, that joint is, like, that's dope. This, it looks so good on the outside. But in reality, it's not something that can actually bear any weight. He's talking about an, in, an internal transformation that happens and completely changes everything about you uh, from head to, head to your toe. So Jesus preaches a sermon to people, and I've preached some bad sermons before, and I've never gotten the response that Jesus has gotten that he gets right here. It says, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? <laughs> Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, he asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him, which is Judas. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment on, in verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him or they no longer accompanied him. Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Verse 66, from that moment on, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. The saddest verse in all of scripture, to have the, the Lord of all in front of you and to turn your back on him because what he was offering you wasn't meeting your needs or it came at too high of a cost. Consumerism is when we stay connected to people only as long as they are meeting our particular needs at an acceptable cost to us. These disciples left Jesus. Uh, and a lot of times, as a pastor, I get, I get some high highs and some low lows. I get to talk to people when they're coming to faith and the excitement of a baptism service and all the things that, that, that happen. But I also get to talk to people as they're leaving the faith. I was think, thinking about this this whole week, like how could the same Jesus who says he would leave the 99 to go after the one, how could the same Jesus let people, huge crowds of people walk away from him and then turn to his disciples and say, yo, y'all could dip too if y'all want to. <laughs> I thought about it. It's infinitely more loving for Jesus to allow those disciples to walk away from an illusion of what he was. They weren't walking away from Jesus, the real Jesus. They were walking away from the projected illusions of who they thought he was or what they thought divinity really should have been like. My hope and prayer is that for everybody who's in this room, we would be people who, who were like the disciples who stuck around and said, Jesus, I don't understand that sermon, perhaps. It sounds a little offensive, but I'll let you offend me because you have the words of eternal life. So I want to talk about three very brief things about what it means to really follow Jesus and how you and I can take hold of this in a real way. Uh, number one, we need to allow Jesus to remove our projections and illusions of who he really is. We need to allow Jesus to remove our projections and illusions of who we think he is. Now, these people in this room and th that were following Jesus for this period of time, they had an idea of what they thought divinity was like. God should behave like this. 
the Savior of the world, the Messiah, should say these things and act like this. When Jesus did not do that, they said, this doesn't line up with what I think divinity is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. I'm not going to follow you any longer. To be a follower of Jesus means that we allow Jesus to, to take our projections of who we think he is and our illusions of who we think he is and to take them away from us. Now, discipleship is a very fancy word that we can spend uh, weeks talking about, but here's what discipleship is. It's learning, it's unlearning, and it's relearning. Most people limit discipleship to that first group of learning that I need to learn more books, I need to learn more about theology, I need to learn more about this. Make no mistake about it, learning is a very crucial part to it. What we don't get to is this unlearning part, that you and, all, you and I all have projections of who we think Jesus is or should be, and there's a lot of those things that are just flat out wrong, and we need to unlearn those things. The last couple of months, I've been focusing on something called a genogram, which is basically like an emotional health version of a family tree. So if you did a family tree, some people do this for their physical health to see who had high blood pressure, who had um, arthritis, and you can basically paint a picture of what your life will look like by looking at your family tree. Emotionally, it's the same way. Many times we have things that we have learned and inherited. Some of those things are our views about God that were never taught on a, in a church service, but they're deeply a part of us in what we believe about God. Case in point, some of us have um, had complicated relationships with our fathers, for example, and your father was absent. Your father was never around. And to be able to pray to a God who refers to, uh, that Jesus refers to as our Heavenly Father, it just doesn't really click. So what you need to do is not just learn more scripture, you need to unlearn what it means to be a father that you learn from your father and replace that with our true Heavenly Father who is perfect in all of his ways. Other times, we need to unlearn things that we were taught in churches or, or schools growing up that are just flat out wrong about who God is. I remember uh, when I first became a Christian, I was, I was rolling with some dudes that were like, Hardcore. Like, I would go to Bible study, and they would be teaching that Jesus is coming back tonight. <laughs> They're like, yo, you trying to watch Mission Impossible? I'm like, nope. I'm trying to get caught up in the rapture, bro. I'm not. <laughs> Tom Cruise not going to take me up to Jesus, so I'm not watching that. And I was always just afraid of God. Like, my view of God was that God was looking around like, wait, yep. They, I, I got you. Come on. I got you. I, I caught you. I caught you. Come on. I, I got the belt. I was terrified of God. And then later in, the, later in my Christian journey, I started to realize that I, I didn't experience what other people experienced when they would pray. Like they experienced like connection and intimacy. I just experienced like God didn't punish me today. So that's good. Like I didn't get punished. That's great. That's a win. How could we truly receive the love of the Father if we're always worried about him catching us, doing something? Many of us have grown up in different systems that have taught us that God is all about your faith being a sin prevention plan. It's not about that. God has adopted us into his family and made us his own. Yes, that's, that's, that's good news worth clapping about. Others of us have learned a, a, a theology, whether it was taught or, or kind of learned, through our families, which is this Jesus is my homeboy theology. Like, yeah, he's cool. He's just cool with whatever. And he's basically just a nicer version of you. Both of those extremes, the Jesus is trying to catch you and, and beat you, and the Jesus is my homeboy, 
We need to unlearn those things so we can align ourselves with the true picture of who Jesus truly is. Now, the second thing we need to do uh, to, be, to be a follower of Jesus is we have to, we got to stay with Jesus. We have to stay with Jesus. And this is why Jesus tells us in verse 29, he says, the true work of a disciple, that people weren't expecting him to say this, the true work of a disciple is to believe. And that word in verse 29 is actually best tra- translated as to relax. When things are going crazy, when things are going in ways that you don't necessarily understand, relax. When you don't know what the next step is, relax. When you've been dealt a hand that doesn't feel fear, that doesn't feel fair, relax and trust in Jesus. It's only when we truly believe and relax and trust that he's in control and he's good and he has our best interest in mind that we can truly relax and certainly even in speaking from a personal experience, nothing knocks us off our center and makes us want to run away faster than when life really hits us below the belt. And one of the things I get to talk to people about is just all of the weight and the heaviness that goes on in people's lives. And there are people who have been really, really, they just got a lot going on. Not, I mean, none of it is their fault, but just like blow after blow after blow after blow. And when you're suffering, man, it's just really hard to stay with Jesus when it just doesn't feel fair. Like this all right, one or two things, that's fine, but like, yo, can I get a break? Can I get a gap in between all of this stuff that's happening in quick succession? Here's what I know to be true in my own life. The story is not finished. The story is not finished. There's so much in our lives that we, there's so much that we we give up on Jesus, and some people walk away thinking that the story is over, and they don't like the way it ended, and the story is still being written. God is still writing the story of your life. This chapter might not be easy. This chapter might be horrendous, but it's not over. It's not over. So we stay with him through persevering in our life. And this this word of persevering, persevering is what I would hope that we would develop, perseverance and endurance to stay with Jesus, particularly in seasons where things are boring, uneventful, or difficult. Last thing, Jesus, uh, what it means to really, truly follow Jesus is that we allow Jesus to radically uproot and reorient our lives. We allow Jesus to radically uproot and reorient our lives. And this is kind of back to what Jesus was saying about eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood, a call to fully take him in, uh, not just pieces of him, but to, to fully take all of him in. And what Jesus is basically saying in this is that um, his life is almost like, his life coming to our life is almost like digestion. Right? So whether it's mechanical or biological, like if, if you have a car and there's a gas tank, the gas doesn't really do anything, but if you have that gas tank that has uh, fuel lines that run to the engine, what is it doing? When you put in gas, the car digests it and spews it into the engine and it gives it life and it gives it energy. Jesus is talking about the same thing uh, in the biological process. When you eat a piece of bread, it circulates. It it influences and it powers you in, in your life. And this is what Jesus is saying is a valid picture of the Christian life, that you take him in and it radically reorients uh, and changes your life from the inside out. Now, we get a chance to practice something called communion uh, most weeks here at Renaissance, which is rehearsing this thing of taking in Jesus. And we do it not because it's just another ceremony to do. Uh, we do it to remind ourselves of things that we would forget about unless we did it. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And I think he tells his disciples that because we're so quick to forget who he really is. 
We're so quick to forget who Jesus is in our life, and he calls us to this practice of communion, of bread and juice, that we ingest him, and we remind ourselves that we are not alone. We remind ourselves that it is not left to our own power, that there's a power, there's a life coming into us through God's spirit that can radically transform our life. And we're also reminded of the lengths to which Jesus went to to be our flesh, to be our, uh, our juice, to be our sacrifice, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was crucified because of our sins and because there's no length to which God would not go to to bring us back. This is the gospel message that Jesus invites us to this process of uh, to receive him in communion. Some of you guys are new to church. Uh, you don't know where you stand in your relationship with Jesus. And I would invite you during this next song to remain seated. Please don't feel any pressure to get up and join the line of people. Uh, but if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you want to remember him and you want his life to be to breathe through your life this next time of communion is for you I'm going to pray for us and then we can come and receive the elements Heavenly Father uh, help us to remain with you help us to uh, identify our consumeristic tendencies the things that we think we want from you. And help us to trust you no matter what. Help us to relax in you. Lord, we are coming to you right now to receive this communion. We pray that it would give us life, the life of your spirit that you have intended for us to have. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.